You are listening to a podcast from the University of Leeds, produced in conjunction with thefaculties.org, supported by JISC. This material is subject to copyright by the University of Leeds, and media items are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported Licence. For more information, terms and conditions of use, please visit leeds.ac.uk. Hello, I'm Lizzie. And I'm Jo. We're research scientists working on Alzheimer's disease at the University of Leeds. In today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the roles of DNA and RNA in the cell and how we can manipulate this to study the roles of protein in disease. You should already be very familiar with how information in our genes makes us us, so I will only be giving you a quick overview. DNA, where the information for making protein is stored, is unwound by an enzyme called helicase. This allows access by RNA polymerase, which uses the DNA as a template to make a strand of mRNA. The mRNA, which now contains a copy of the assembly instructions for the protein, leaves the nucleus. Out in the cytoplasm, tRNA, or transfer RNA molecules, act as adapter molecules. Transfer RNAs bind the mRNA by lining up their anticodon with each codon on the mRNA. This lines up the amino acid tied to the top of each tRNA in the correct order to form a functional protein. DNA and RNA are both extremely important molecules in the cell, and despite having very, very similar structures, they perform completely different roles. The role of DNA is simply information storage. Its job is to contain all of the necessary information for making proteins, and it's absolutely vital that the DNA sequence does not contain any mistakes. Now, DNA is perfectly adapted to do this for two main reasons. Firstly, DNA is an extremely stable molecule, much more so than RNA. Remember that DNA stands for deoxyribonucleic acid, and the deoxy refers to the fact that the ribose sugar in the DNA has one less oxygen atom, present in a hydroxyl OH group, than the RNA you might want to think about why the hydroxyl group actually makes RNA much less stable than DNA and causes RNA strands to break down quickly. And DNA has an extra characteristic that helps it keep the information stored in its genes in perfect order. DNA is double-stranded. Complementary hydrogen bonds between the two strands hold the double helix together. But there are also more chemically complex factors holding the double helix together And those of you who are particularly interested in chemistry might want to consider why the bases are found on the inside of the double helix and why they tilt with respect to the sugar phosphate backbone. Because DNA is a double-stranded molecule, it contains the information for each protein twice, once in each strand. So if one strand somehow picks up a mutation, the complementary base pairing won't match up, allowing the cell to recognise the mistake and, most importantly, put it right. This is vital to the cell because, as you'll know, mutations in DNA can cause diseases such as cancer. Maybe you can name some environmental factors that lead to DNA damage. When it comes to long-term information storage, RNA is no match for DNA. But RNA has an absolutely vital role in the cell. It can recognise both nucleic acids and amino acids. This allows it to turn the information encoded in DNA into a working protein. tRNA molecules have an anticodon which they use to complementary base pair with mRNA. This allows them to recognise RNA or DNA and so speak the nucleic acid language. 
tRNAs also have an amino acid bound to the top, and the amino acid attached depends on the anticodon on the tRNA, allowing the nucleic acid code to be translated into a protein code. RNA has another trick up its sleeve. It can fold into 3D structures, for example, the cloverleaf structure of tRNA molecules, and this allows it to catalyze reactions, functioning in a similar way to enzymes. Shown here is a reaction mechanism for a reaction catalyzed by an RNA enzyme. As RNA can perform the jobs of both DNA and proteins, it has been suggested that early in evolution, RNA did just this. This is called the RNA world hypothesis, where RNA acted as the information storage molecule and catalyzed its own replication, as well as all the reactions needed by the organism. This RNA world then evolved into the world we have today, where DNA and proteins are more specialized molecules to perform the roles of information storage and catalysis of reactions. In our lab, as you know, we study Alzheimer's disease. And in order to study this in detail, we use models, which allow us to control many variables in a way that wouldn't be possible in a living organism. So we can use our knowledge of the roles of RNA and DNA to help create models for our investigations in the lab. Recently, several genes have been linked to you having a higher risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. And now we're trying to work out how the proteins encoded by these genes might contribute to a person developing Alzheimer's. To do this, we'll be using cells which originate from human brain cells, but we actually grow them in tissue culture outside of the body using specially coated dishes and tissue culture medium instead of blood. We're going to use these cells to create two different models to investigate what these genes might do in the Alzheimer's brain. Now, in these models, what we want to do is we want to artificially alter gene expression so we can compare cells with high levels of Alzheimer proteins with cells that do not produce these proteins. Now, just to clarify gene expression, when we talk about gene expression, we're thinking about how turned on these genes are in the cell. So, how much transcription is going on, or how much messenger RNA is being produced, and also how much translation is going on or how much protein is being produced from the mRNA. Also, the level of destruction or turnover of different mRNAs and proteins varies within the cell. So gene expression is very carefully regulated. Some genes are off, some genes are weakly expressed, and some genes are very strongly expressed. And this can vary in response to different stimuli. Perhaps you can think of an example of how bacteria regulate their genes for lactose metabolism depending on how much lactose is about in the environment and why this is beneficial for the cell in terms of energy. So I said we were going to create two models. Now, in the first model, we're going to add in extra copies of the Alzheimer genes into the cell, making the cell express much higher levels of these genes, producing much more protein than they normally do. So have a think about how we could introduce the Alzheimer genes into the human cells. Now, in the second model, we want to decrease expression of the Alzheimer genes in these cells. So let's have a think about the points at which we could try and reduce gene expression. So we could try to get rid of the Alzheimer genes, but to get rid of these very specific parts of DNA would be extremely difficult. Alternatively, we could try and remove all of the Alzheimer proteins produced by the genes, Again, that's going to be very tricky to try and get rid of every single protein molecule. 
But fortunately, what we can do is to destroy the mRNA that's transcribed from these Alzheimer genes, thereby preventing any protein from being made at all. Then what we'll be able to do is to compare the survival and the behaviour of the cells with high levels of Alzheimer protein, with cells completely lacking the protein, with cells expressing normal levels of protein. So to create the second model, we'll be using the Nobel Prize winning technique of RNA interference to destroy the mRNA encoding the proteins we're interested in, specifically, without affecting any of the other proteins in the cell. Fantastic. You were listening to a podcast from the University of Leeds, produced in conjunction with thefaculties.org, supported by JISC. The right of the individual named to be identified as author of this work has been asserted by them in accordance with the Copyright Design and Patents Act 1988. For more information, terms and conditions of use, please visit leeds.ac.uk.